Hello, my name is Eric and I'm a recovering alcoholic drug addict. On February 16, 2021, I had 37 years of being alcohol and drug free. I haven't qualified at an AA meeting in over 15 years. So in this episode, I will celebrate my sobriety by qualifying 37 years of being clean and dry. Welcome to the craziness that lives inside my head. First off, I am not going to start with how it was being an alcoholic. If you want to read or hear that part of my addiction, I suggest you buy my ebook on Amazon.com or listen to my audiobook on iTunes or Audible.com titled Nemesis Horizon Project Reptilian Logs Seth Reptilian. I am going to concentrate on how I hung on to my sobriety in those 37 years and still one day at a time. My sober date was February 16th, 1984, the day after my birthday. I was 32 years old. After 30 days in the rehab and eight months later, I went to, the, to my first Halloween party at the Gay Center in New York City. I met my fourth lover, Thomas, and had sex for the second time in sobriety. First time was with my first lover, Adrian, after 90 days of sobriety. Thomas and I didn't become lovers right away because Thomas was still in a relationship and was looking for a potential lover to replace his present lover. I told him, break up with your present lover and get back to me. That was a milestone for me because if I was still drinking, I would have gone along with it, but I had enough sobriety to realize that would have been a slip in the making. I met Adrian in 1982 on a gay boat ride. He was a guy I was hooking up with in my drinking days. He was in a relationship that whole time. And as I said, after 90 days sober, we had sex. After our orgasm, Adrian goes, wow, I never fucked an elephant before. That was when I went on my quest to lose 100 pounds. His lover fed, got fed up with his addiction and kicked him out. And where else was Adrian going? Nowhere but to me. Now, I'm, t- I'm 10 months sober in a relationship with an alcoholic. But Adrian was the man of my dreams in my drinking days. And still was the hottest man in my life at the time in my sober days. He was my first relationship in my sobriety. I am not going to go through details, but after five months of living with him, I had to kick him out in order to keep my sanity and my sobriety. And I want to note here that to this day, Adrian is the only man in my life that I've had most sex with. We lived together for five months and then had sex at least seven times a year for 13 years. I should also mention at this time, my first day of sobriety, I had a 52-inch waist. About two years later, I was down to a 42-inch waist when I met my second lover, Paulo, an illegal Brazilian alien, in spring of 1986. 
I went to meetings, 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 including Overeaters Anonymous meetings, Al-Anon meetings, dieting, and riding my mountain bike daily. Paulo and I didn't exactly live together. He had a room in an SRO in the Upper West Side, Manhattan. He would he would spend weekends or weekdays with me. We were supposed to live completely in one household, but sobriety took over my brain. And I realized that having an illegal alien for a lover wasn't a great idea. Paulo couldn't keep a job and I was kind of supporting him. That relationship lasted six months. Now, it's 1988 and I'm down to a size 40 inch pants. I met my third lover in sobriety, Larry. I met Larry like I met Paulo through the gay personal ads. Larry and I didn't have sex right away. My sponsor at the time mentioned how gay men didn't know how to date. They just have sex. He suggested that I should date Larry instead of fucking Larry. Larry, on the other hand, wanted a relationship, not a fuck buddy. He read this book on gay relationships and it suggested like, it suggested like my sponsor for us to date. Get to know each other, then have sex. Larry and I dated for three months and they became lovers. His plan was to live together for a year, then get married in Vermont since gay marriage was legal there at the time and we had a house and he had a house there. Next, he wanted me to quit my Wall Street job, give up my Bronx apartment, move into one of the houses he was building in New Brunswick, New Jersey. I didn't have to work at all. I would stay home and write my plays plus take care of his parents in the other house he was building next to our house. To make a long story short, we broke up because I wasn't in love with, with Larry. That night of our breakup, Larry cried and said that I didn't give it time for me to fall in love with him. I told Larry that what he called love, I called dependency. My life would have been dependent upon his approval of my actions or out the door. The main reason I had to break it off was my AA friends kept insisting that Larry was a gainer. He wanted me fat again. Larry himself said that he loved fat men. After six months of the relationship, I was 52 inch waist again, up from a 40 inch waist. I had to let him go. Now, here is a curious thing. My straight work buddies, non-alcoholic, thought I was crazy to let Larry go. Larry was a black lawyer with an office in the World Trade Center. He had money and was willing to take care of me. I wasn't interested in having sex with him, I told them. They laughed at me and said, so what? You get a love on the side. Is that what straight people do? I asked. To end this saga of my sobriety, I got into psychotherapy. I thought I was losing my mind to let a man like Larry slip through my fingers. One night at 3 a.m. in the morning, my hormones took over and I called, or I should say I dialed Thomas' phone number. Then before he picked up, I chickened out and hung up. There, these, day, these were the days of the new phone technologies. Thomas called me right back, so he must have had that last phone call, last dial feature on his phone service. He was glad I called because he was thinking about me. His lover, the one he was breaking up with seven years ago, had recently passed away in Guatemala. 
which told me that would have been a seven-year wait to be his lover. So, now seven years of sobriety in my fourth relationship. I broke up with Thomas after six months because he tried to mold me into his deceased lover. Thomas had a lot of baggage. Granted, if I was still in my addiction, I would have done anything Thomas wanted or wanted me to be because of his sex organ, which was way more than average in Dow. At this point in my sobriety, I wanted to be me. I wanted a lover to want me as I was, not molded into what he wanted me to be in order to get the dick. 1993, I gained more weight and became very depressed. I heard about the drug Prozac. It was supposed to help you lose weight as well as helping with depression. So I asked my psychotherapist for some and she obliged. Then Jim came into my life. I met him on one of the gay bulletin boards. I have to add that I lied about my age in the bulletin board profile. We dated for a while. He admitted that he liked exotic black men. He was Irish American. However, exotic to Jim was black men over 300 pounds, which at the time I was. He also admitted that he was ashamed of his preferences. He explained how when he lived in Los Angeles, he got ridiculed by his gay friends when he confided in them what he liked. So he kept it a secret. He had a black boyfriend at the time. He showed me a picture of him. The guy was drop dead gorgeous, muscular and hung. So was Jim. He was white, well built, hairy and hung. The two of them made up the perfect gay couple of Chelsea, New York City. I guessed having a black, fat, obese boyfriend would tarnish his image. We broke up because one night I drove him to his bartending job in one of the gay clubs and in my conversation I accidentally mentioned my real age, 41. And Jim was 30. He freaked out. I thought you told me you were 35. I had no choice. I had no choice but to say I lied. I guess for Jim it was all about his image. As I said, I began psychotherapy after I broke up with Larry. Now it was five years of analysis, ten years of sobriety, and I was up to a pan-sized 58-inch waist. Then came a 28-year-old math teacher, Nathan. Truly he was the man of my dreams. He was the porn star Ron Jeremy and Dick Rambo wrapped into one. We met online a gay dating bulletin board called Mailstop. Now, you gotta understand that as a gay man who always looked for the biggest dick and, and the hairiest man to have sex with was always a dream and nightly quest at gay bars and my addiction looking for such men. Nathan had everything I could have wanted. He had it all. But, for some reason, the head between my legs was throbbing and the head between my ears wasn't interested. Why? Because every time Nathan and I had sex, he would constantly say, Damn, you too fat and too old. I felt that something wasn't right. Here lying in bed with me was nine inches of dick, huge hairy balls, close to the size of baseballs, extremely hairy body, so hairy you couldn't see the nipples on his chest, and his asshole was hidden in the dense hairy forest of his ass. 
I wasn't impressed and my dick went limp every time he breathlessly whispered in my ear, damn, you're too fat and too old. I stayed away from Nathan. I even emailed him, letting him know that now in my sobriety, I wanted to be respected. I wanted to be loved and I wanted him to love me and how I was learning to love myself. So his verbal, damn, you too fat and too old, during our sex was unacceptable. I didn't think it meant much because two weeks later, he called me and asked if I could come over, which meant he wanted sex. I thought I was too old and too fat, I asked. He responded with, yeah, you are, but damn, the sex is the best I ever had. I broke down, went over to his place. After the sex, and after the once again, damn, you're too fat and too old. I stared into his hazel eyes in tears. I said, I wish I was your type. He replied, I don't have a type. I'm a whore. And that look he gave me told me that if I wanted to be with him, I had to accept the verbal abuse and his sexual promiscuity. My sobriety got the best of me. I realized that I loved myself more than I loved the hairy man with the big cock. During all these sexual escapades, I was productive with my life. I had a full-time job on Wall Street writing plays about my life, even had two the two of them produce, seeing my therapist meetings and meetings and meetings. My sister was my contact person for tickets and reservations. One night she informed me how some guy in jail would call her to talk to me. The guy would always call collect. She thought he was a friend of mine and that was the only reason she would accept the calls. She gave him my personal phone number and we became phone sex buddies. Well, he got out of jail and asked if he could come over. I picked him up at the Hunts Point subway station. I drove him to my parking lot behind my high-rise building. I was being cautious since he just came out of jail and I've had a history with convicts. While we were parked and talking, I noticed a bulge in his pants. My first thought that he had a gun. Most convicts I knew in my drinking days carried a gun waiting to rip off gay men. He laughed and said, hell no, that's my cock. He grabbed it to prove his point. I allowed him to spend the night, but he wasn't, but he couldn't stay past that. He tried it in the morning complaining I'm not feeling well. I had to threaten to call the cops if he didn't leave. I've been through that before in my drinking days. I took five steps backwards after taking two steps forward. A year passed and Jailbird returned. He gave me a sad story of having no place to go. My horniness got the best of me since I knew what laid in between his legs and I had that eight and a half inch. But this time around I've learned my lesson. As he was taking a crap in my bathroom, with the bathroom door open, we were having a conversation, at which time he informed me that I was what the instructors in jail talked about. I was stable. Then he went on to say that I was too fat and big to fight, so he would have to shoot me. I immediately asked him to hurry up and finish and leave the premises. I also had the telephone in my hand as a signal that if he didn't leave, I was prepared to call the cops on his ass.
1997, my weight had gotten out of control. I stopped seeing my therapist because I felt she wasn't helping me at all and I would stick to meetings, meetings, meetings. I blew up to 430 pounds. I was miserable and couldn't walk a block to the bus stop. I had sleep apnea and I was now a size 64 inch waist. I had to buy my clothes in a catalog because none of the stores in New York City sold my size. With the support of my AA family, I had my stomach staple and lap band placed around it to control my eating. That was a new saga in my sobriety. My focus was on my writing career and my show Strange Fruits TV Soap Opera and Fruit Extraña that was broadcast on BronxNet cable station. 2004, I wrote, direct, edited, and videotaped my first film, Forbidden Fruit, which was also my first produced play in 1985. In 2005, the film was featured at the Toronto Film Festival. 2008, I was on another sober adventure after gaining back three quarters of the weight I lost from the lap band and was told by my doctor I was borderline diabetic, high blood pressure, and was going to be taking five different medications to control them, I opt to lose the weight again. But this time, I hired a personal trainer and ate healthy. No diets, eating healthy, and the gym became a way of life for me. I was 380 pounds in 2008. In 2016, my lowest weight was 206. I haven't been to meetings, meetings, meetings like I used to, but I know where to go for help instead of picking up a drink. My addiction, my addictions, alcohol, drugs, sex, and food no longer haunt me. Staying in the now and living one day at a time has become my way of life. Thank you for my sobriety. This is Eric. And you've just heard the craziness that lives inside my head.